Uh, Best Boy Dan, what are you doing? Hurry up, we have to go record the podcast about Slice of Life anime. Oh, like Higarashi. Don't we do gory stuff like that in October? I don't, I don't have time to go into how dumb that is. No, like anime about people living their lives. Oh, like the beloved 90s sitcom Friends. Dan, that's not an anime. Are you sure? Jesus Christ. Hello and welcome to the Best Boys Podcast. I'm Best Boy Dan. And I'm Best Boy Justin. And that's right, buckle on up, best buds, because it's time for your slice of life senpai to learn you a thing or two about this often maligned and misunderstood genre. But before that, we've got a little bit of banter for you. We got some anime news, so let's go ahead and dive right on into it. Best Boy Dan? Okay. I assume you've heard of of Quiet Quitting. I have. I have. Uh, and also lying flat because we frequent many of the same news sources, uh, and we have talked about lying flat before. Um, but I have some thoughts on this because like quiet quitting has like popped up all over the place recently. Yeah. It's almost like there's a major, I don't know, uh, collusion between the corporate media to talk about this thing that doesn't exist. Yeah. So the, the idea behind quiet quitting is like, is just doing what you're paid for at work and not what (laughs) and not like doing extra work that you're not paid for what a wild concept essentially um so the thing that frustrates me about this is like i i feel as though this concept has been around a while but they finally got a phrase to take hold in the United States, Mm -hmm. like quiet quitting. It's like a thing that like all the, you know, boomers out there watching the news would be like, Oh, I heard about quiet quitting. Nobody wants to work anymore these days. Mm -hmm. But what I think is funny is this concept has a been around for forever, but already had a term in Japan, which was lying flat. China, China. Oh, is that where that came from? It originates from China. Yes. Oh, interesting. So I'm learning something here, too. But I just think it's interesting that it already had a term. We, like, knew the term, and that isn't what caught on. And then finally this, like, quiet quitting thing is what caught on. Yeah, there is a, there is a little bit of a difference between quiet quitting and lying flat. Lying flat is more of, like, a lifestyle, whereas, like, quiet quitting is, like, just, a, like, how you are at work. Sure. But, yeah, it's interesting to see them both um, kind of in the same context. I actually, what I practice, I practice a, a thing at work called quiet shitting, where <laughs> yeah. instead of working, I just spend all my time in the bathroom. Reading manga. Reading manga, yes. Yeah. That's, you know, that's pretty much what you should be doing anyway. Yeah. Um, the other thing that I just had to discuss was this weird-ass fact I learned this week. Okay, go on ahead. Uh, it's not an ass fact, it's just a weird-ass fact. You mean you don't have a weird fact about asses for me? No, um, but I do have a weird fact about the mangaka of Love Hina. I learned that he now holds public office. I believe that. I, it's... So for those who who do not know, um, Love Hina is like the progenitor of the harem anime. Yeah, pretty much, yeah. Um, and it just like every trope that you know of from harem anime like originated there. It is also one of like the three harem anime I actually enjoy. <laughs> um, it's 
it's it's an interesting show and definitely like from a historical place in anime it's a show kind of worth checking out yeah um but it's definitely etchy and all that but it's just funny to me that a mangaka of a harem you know story is holding public office it's just a wild time because imagine that happening in like the 90s yeah no that would be <laughs> weird it still is weird, but uh, yeah, that's wild. I can't believe that. You know, I um, can't wait till the uh, or the um, high school DXT. Oh my Monica god, is president like 2050, <laughs> prime minister of Japan. Oh my god, wild. Um, well, for my part, you know, best boy Dan, um, do you know who Creepy Nuts is? Yeah, they did. Um, the they did uh, the music for something. Yeah, so Creepy Nuts did the music for Call of the Night, which is currently airing right now on uh, High Dive. And um, they're the ones who had that song that that I was jamming out to the other day. Um, They actually had a cameo in episode six of Call of the Night. Oh, that's rad. Yeah. For those of you who watched the episode and maybe missed it, they were, um, there was a group of guys at the pool who were hitting on um, the vampire girl, uh, Nanamine, and um, they, those, and like, you know, the, the co had to come and like rescue her, quote unquote. Um, but those two guys were the people who, the the group who sing the, the songs oh, for the show. That's so nice. Yeah, I thought that was really cool because I remembered watching, I remembered watching that episode and I didn't know that. And I was like, why do those, those guys' voices sound kind of familiar? Like, am I supposed to know them or do I know them from another anime? But I didn't bother to look it up in the moment. But then, of course, I saw a post about it on Reddit. I was like, oh my god, it's them. Um, so that was pretty neat. Uh, next up, I wanted to talk about Parallel World Pharmacy because I didn't have a chance the last episode because I had to rant. But I don't have to rant this episode, so we have time to talk about it. Oh, surprise. I want to tell you about this new manga I heard about. Yeah, I'm going to strangle you. <laughs> um, no, Parallel World Pharmacy has been really good. I actually just watched the most recent episode last night. Um, and I really enjoy the directions that this is taking. It is very. It was a very interesting and kind of refreshing take on the isekai genre. Um, the main character has motivations that feel natural, um, and interesting. The world is really, really cool. Um, and it, it, it manages to balance the slice of life and like the mystery isekai elements pretty well. Um, so I just kind of wanted to, you know, shout out the, shout out that show for being a pretty well done, you know, nice and, and cozy show to watch. It's got just enough, like, mystery to be interesting, but it's also not, like, super duper hype all the time where you can kind of, you can put on an episode after work and relax and just enjoy the world, you know? Hmm. Yeah. And the third thing that I wanted to talk about is something we touched on on an episode that we have recorded but we have not released yet. What are you Um, talking about? These are all live. Yes, all of our episodes are recorded the day they release. No, uh, we recorded another episode wherein we uh, briefly discussed sound identity. Um, and I actually, I noticed something about sound identity that I think I wanted to expose you to, because I think sound identity is really important in a show. And like, what I mean by that is like, you have these, you know, a lot of shows you will have, um, they have like a main theme, right? But then they have variations on that theme. Like you'll have like the sad theme I or the fight I have a perfect example theme. of this. What's that? Every time, uh, Jamie, best boy Jamie is watching Yu Yu Hakusho, I 
immediately know what it is because I know mm. every single song in that OST because yeah. it's like such a vibe. That is exactly what I'm talking about. So I actually ran across an an example of really good sound identity in the wild in the not in a non anime setting that I wanted to play for you because I just it jumped out at me when I heard it. I was like, oh, that's really good like sound design. Okay. So what this is this is the um, the theme music on Yes Network where the Yankees play. Okay, so I'm going to play for oh, you. I can't wait for the Yankees copyright strike. <laughs> yeah, no, we'll have to blank it out or maybe just play a clip. But then I want you to listen real quick to their regular theme music. Okay, this is their, this is what the, the music that plays when the game is starting. Okay. It's like pretty, you know, standard sports music. You've got the guitar, the orchestra, right? This feels pretty right at home with Ace of Diamond. Yeah, this would go right really good in a sports anime, right? Okay, so that's that, right? Now, they have music that plays during rain delays, and their rain delay music sounds like this. Isn't that good? (laughs) Just the nice slow sax? Yeah. Okay, I feel it. I like it. (laughs) So I... I ran. I ran across that while I was watching a Yankees game the other day, and I had to. I had to bring it up. I was like, "This is a perfect example of what I was talking about when I meant sound identity." Absolutely. So, with that out of the way, hopefully, having not been sued into dust by the New York Yankees, I think it's time for us to check in with Studio Web for some anime news. That's right, Best Buds. We got all the anime news you could choke a peacock with. Oh, God. Um, uh, trust me, I've tried. Um, so, I, I have some, like, wild stories. I hope you're ready for I'm that. actually, I'm really glad you picked up the first story on your list here, because I actually noticed it, too, and I wanted to talk to you about it. Did you notice the update they had to it, too? I, I've noticed a couple things about it, but I'm going to let you roll through Okay. It. So, uh, up front, Tokyo Pop announced on Wednesday that it has worked with Ukrainian publisher to translate and release a graphic novel titled Victory for Ukraine, an anthology of stories by Ukrainian creators about the country's current conflict. Tokyo Pop will donate a share of profits to Razum for Ukraine. Razum means together in Ukrainian. Uh, a non-profit Ukraine... Great, me saying another language. <laughs> uh, I apologize to any Ukrainians I've offended in my pronunciation. Um, a non-profit Ukrainian-American human rights organization established to give direct support to the people of Ukraine. The company released a digital version of the Ukrainian Independence uh, Day or on Ukrainian Independence Day on Wednesday, and it will release the physical version on September 27th. So we're going to take a pause there because that in and of itself, I think, is really cool. I That is an initial reaction for it, and I think that's fine. My initial reaction for it was different. Interesting. Mine, mine was this is propaganda, and the the reason and the thing is propaganda doesn't have to be bad. Okay, mm-hmm. propaganda can be good, mm-hmm. but as when I saw the image for it, I was like, this is propaganda. Like yes. this is like a textbook example. I so I think that like my initial glance at it was yes, this is like really good. Yeah. Um, because like on the surface, yeah, you know, I I don't support what's happening with you know. Russia and Ukraine and, you know, giving voice to uh, Ukrainians to get their work out to the world. That sounds great. You know, donating to the uh, humanitarian crisis. That sounds great. 
Um, but you're right. There, there is definitely elements of propaganda. Uh, I don't have this written in here, but it does go. The article does go over like the various stories, and the first story is about the ghost of Kiev, right. which is a a propaganda story yeah, by its, its nature. Real. It was designed to you know give hope in the early days of the fighting. Yeah. So you're absolutely right. Now. The story does get a little bit more complicated, too. Mm. Um, so here's here's where I think the biggest controversy comes in. This is an update to, to this story. Uh, the graphic novel's cover features an image of an individual wearing an Azov Regiment patch. And the graphic novel also contains a story about the Azov Regiment. Uh, the all-volunteer unit's leadership and marketing have both expressed far-right and neo-Nazi views in the past and has actively courted membership of neo-Nazis in Europe. Some of its leaders have also been members of neo-Nazi political interest groups. Well, it started as a civilian militia group in 2014. Uh, it has since been incorporated into Ukraine's uh, Ministry of Internal Affairs. Uh, as it is an official military unit. Both the U.S. and Canadian armed forces have refused to offer training to the regiment due to its alleged neo-Nazi ties. Yeah, so this was something I picked up on immediately when I saw the image, because I am actually familiar with the Azov Regiment. Um, and I was like, oh, someone's going to have something to say about that. And, <laughs> and I was... That I did not know when I first read it. <laughs> yeah, I'm actually somewhat familiar with the different um, volunteer regiments in Ukraine, um, if you want to look up a better regiment than the Azov regiment, which I'm used to calling battalion, but I guess they are a regiment now, um, you should look up Hood's Hood's Clan. They are a uh, a, a group of um, anarchist um, football hooligans who formed a militia to uh, fight the Russians. That's rad. Yeah, you can actually find a... There's a documentary about them on YouTube. Uh, if you look up... Um, the, the documentarian's name, his name is Jake Hanrahan, and his channel, I can't remember the name of, um, but yeah, if you look up Jake Hanrahan, um, Ukrainian, it'll pop up. Uh, it's a really interesting, uh, documentary, and I highly recommend it for anybody who's interested in that kind of thing. Um, yeah, it's so, I, I think w the reason that this story drew me is, I think this is a really great example of not just reading headlines. Um, and I thought it was kind of important to highlight that because again, on the surface, this is a very like, you know, nice story. Like, Oh, Hey, you know, getting Ukrainian yeah. stories published out to the world, Tokyo pop. It's like, cool. It's like that. And then you're like, Oh, are these the stories mm -hmm. we want to get out to the I world? Mean, and, and here's the thing. The other side of it too, is like, this is a war. Uh -huh. There, there are no people who come out as the sole good guys in war. Yeah, Ukraine. The Ukrainian military has done some shit during the war that is morally questionable at best. You know, like it's not war. War is not a pretty thing. Um, I will. I will say that I would be very surprised if this was intentional. I'm a hundred percent sure that. No one at Tokyo Pop knows what the Azov Regiment was. And I can say that with pretty good confidence because most people in America don't know what the Azov Re Regiment is either. I'm relatively um, keyed in and I hadn't heard of it's, that uh, The channel is called Popular Front, by the way, if you want to look up that documentary. Um, the only reason I'm familiar with the Azov Battalion is just because I'm kind of keyed into a lot of like people who do research on far-right um, anti-terrorism stuff. 
Um, and they pop up a lot because guess what? They run in those circles. Yeah. So, you know, it's with any news, it's important to dig in deeper and learn, learn more. Yeah. Um, so, you know, be, be media conscious. Yes. So, in <laughs> we're going to swing a, a completely different direction here now. Um, Toei reported that Dragon Ball Super, Superhero, which I hate saying that title. Yeah, it's a bad title. <laughs> it's a bad title in English. Um, anime film has earned 7.08 billion yen, or about uh, 51.75 uh, million uh, US dollars, uh, globally as of Sunday. The film ranked number one at the global box office over the weekend, uh, Sunday being a week from when this uh, podcast is dropped. Yeah. Um, the film earned an estimated 20.1 million, uh, in its first opening weekend in North America, uh, and make it the sixth highest grossing anime film just off of its first week box office. It's pretty wild. Like, that's good. And we're going to talk a little bit more about some box office stuff in a minute. Um... So, uh, the film has also opened in Mexico, Argentina, Peru, Ireland, Chile, uh, and has made about 12.3 million there too. So it's doing well all over the world, Mm -hmm. which I think is also a testament to the kind of ubiquity of, uh, Dragon Ball throughout the world. Yeah, I mean, it it is, it is like, if you were going to pick a a piece of Japanese media as like your Rosetta Stone between cultures, it would probably be Dragon Ball Z. Which is wild because it's not even like the biggest anime in, I don't know if it's in any country. Like, it's big in every country, but like, you know, here I think... You know, there are other things people know more. I mean, in Japan, certainly One Piece is bigger. I would say for a while in the U.S., Dragon Ball Z sure. was the one, but I think these days not so much. But yeah, you're you're absolutely right. It is it is an interesting piece of media to be as globally recognized as it is. To me, I think it was the first story that just kind of broke all of the cultural boundaries. Yeah, maybe. Yeah, not not even by its own storytelling, but just by its time. Timing and yeah, everything. timing, reach, all of that. Yeah. Absolutely. Um, so, uh, we're going to dig into some more numbers because I love this stuff. Yeah, numbers. Uh, uh, comparatively, uh, Dragon Ball Super Broly earned $9.8 million in its opening weekend. So, this is already done over twice as good as that. Mm-hmm. Um, which is really surprising to me um, because... Broly stars Goku, Vegeta, and Broly, who is arguably one of the best villains of all time in Dragon Ball, mm-hmm. and was acclaimed as one of the best Dragon Ball Z movies, which is a very wide-ranging gambit yeah. you know, between good and awful. Um, but this movie, uh, Superhero, specifically does not have Goku or Vegeta in it. It's starring Gohan and Piccolo, um, which is also interesting that this one would do so well with like secondary characters at its helm Mm -hmm. um so dragon ball super superhero opened in japan on june 11th the film sold uh half a million tickets for 670 million yen uh or about five million dollars in its first two days which for japan is is pretty good yeah um and has earned a total of $18 million as of August 7th. 
So, with all of those numbers in your head, uh, I want to talk about uh, a couple of things regarding the box office this weekend. Okay. And I want to test your knowledge a little bit. So, up first, I want to just go over how well Dragon Ball did in the United States because it was the number one movie for the weekend. Right. Uh, it was also not the number, the only movie that opened this weekend. Do you know what else opened? Yeah, there was that Idris Elba movie. Exactly. Yeah, Beast. Beast. Which Dragon Ball doubled. Wow. That's crazy. <laughs> in sales. That's pretty crazy. Which just goes to show that Dragon Ball is twice as popular as Idris Elba. Okay. So I just want to throw that out there. But like, that was the number two movie. So it was like way out ahead of the pack. It beat... Bullet Train, it beat Top Gun, and it beat uh, DC's League of Super Pets. Okay. So Shocker. Well, it is interesting because it is taking on some of the same, you know, areas, too. Like, yeah. I think Bullet Train is targeted at that. And, I've heard and, Bullet Train is really good, though. Yeah. So, uh, I thought that was really interesting. But I want to test what you think the... Top five anime openings domestically in the United States are of all time. Okay, so we'll start with number one. What do you think the number one? I okay, so I'm pretty sure it's a Studio Ghibli film. I don't know which one. Spirited Away. It is not, and I'm going to uh, give you a clue. Studio Ghibli is not on this list. Really? Oh, they okay. have not had a number one. They do well over time. But not opening But weekend. not. they're not the so, big, you know, smash hits. In that case, then I'm going to say Demon Slayer, the Mugen Train. Demon Slayer is number two really? on the list. Oh, yes. okay. Number one will make total sense when you, when you realize it. I don't it. think it's this one. It's definitely not this one. It is... Pokemon, the first movie, Mewtwo Strikes Back. Oh, yeah, back, okay. Yeah, that makes Which sense. came in at $31 million yeah, in that makes 1999. Sense. If I had to guess, I would say, okay, so Pokemon and then Demon, Demon Slayer. Slayer. And then this one, I think, probably. Dragon Ball yes, Super. Demon Slayer grossed $22 million. And Dragon Ball Super grossed $21 million. Okay, not bad. Care to take a stab at number four? Shit. Um, maybe one of the My Hero movies? Or is no. it the other Dragon Ball movie? Good thinking. It's actually the other Pokemon movie, Pokemon uh, Two Thousand, the one okay. with like Lugia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That one was actually pretty good. I too. had the I had the holographic card from that. Oh, that's dope. It's probably worth money now. Nah, it's gone now. <laughs> if anywhere, it was in my mom's attic years ago. And a, a very recent one pops onto the list at number five. Uh huh. With. Uh, Jujutsu Kaisen. Oh, uh, that makes sense. Movie. Yeah, that yeah. one did really well in its opening weekend. Yeah, that one grossed uh, seventeen. Excellent. So uh, I thought that was really interesting, and it it also makes total sense to me that Pokemon would be that one that broke out because yeah. especially that movie hit while that hype was still at a high. Yeah. Um. So yeah, but. It was interesting. So I called this section uh, Charts with Dan because I also really enjoy a, a program called Charts with Dan on uh, Dan Merle's oh. YouTube page. I don't, I'm bad with numbers, so this was not. <laughs> he the he right breaks it down numbers me. really, really well. But, um, but what's interesting is, and he kind of pointed it out, was that there's been a large influx at, uh, of anime at the uh, United States box office. Yeah. 
Also in the, um, not just the box office, but the uh, New York Times bestseller listing. Absolutely. So this is something that Hollywood is going to take notice of. And, you know, if movies are, you know, posting numbers like this, you know, they're going to be looking at, oh, is it better for us to bring over an anime movie or, you know, spend all this money on Idris Elba? Right. Which, don't get me wrong. Listen, Idris Elba is gorgeous. I maybe love, we'll get an Idris Elba anime. But I would be more likely to watch an anime movie than I would be to go to the theater for, for Beast. <laughs> for Beast, right? I will watch Beast when it comes out on streaming, absolutely. But I'm not going to go to the theater for it the way I would go to the theater for Jujutsu Kaisen Zero. Right. You know? Um... So last up on the list, this is okay. All the all the other stories have been great, but this is my favorite one. I saw this one too, and I was hoping you'd pick it up, and I'm glad you did. <laughs> so recently, we discussed how uh, Metal Gear creator uh, Hideo Kojima has been really getting into licorice recoil. Uh, his newfound fandom has come to its logical conclusion. He has officially uh, endorsed a uh, comment printed on the official. Light novel, uh, spin-off light novel, uh, wraparound cover. Kojima Productions announced on Sunday that Kojima's personal comment will be featured on the Lycoris Recoil uh, Ordinary Days light novel, releasing September 9th. Kojima's comment roughly translates <laughs> as follows. I'll recoil my Lyco-like genes. Perfect. And genes like G Like genetic genes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Koyama's personal assistant, Ayoko Terashima, clarified that Kojima often gets requests to write endorsements, but he decided to specifically accept this one because he was a fan of the anime. Yeah. I just, I love that. <laughs> like, Does, I'll recoil in my Lyco-like jeans. Doesn't get any better than that. What a G. <laughs> Gotta love it. All right, yeah, so uh, moving on to the next story, we have... Um, the Psychopass anime is launching a 10th anniversary project in October, um, and uh, production on the franchise's latest work, uh, which is the Psychopass Providence film, has been greenlit. Um, this is pretty big for me. I really enjoy Psychopass. Um, I think it's pretty cool that they're they're you know with the 10th anniversary they're starting up the movie, which is called Providence. Um, now, you know, the most recent season of the show was not its strongest. Um, it kind of pulled it together with the movie, which they did it in a weird way. Like, the first half of the story was told um, with a TV anime, and then the second half of the story was told in a movie that was, like, canon, like, part of the story. It can't be any worse than Danganronpa, that, which goes between anime and video game. Oh, God. Yeah. <laughs> um, that, you know, so that, that was, you know... Not the best, but I am excited for, you know, this next movie to come out um, as part of the 10th anniversary project, which the theme of the theme of which is gratitude for fans. Um, they're also going to be doing a psychopath radio program, which they did Ooh. when the original run of the of the show was out. Um, so they're going to be bringing that back on the second Friday of every month. Starting I wish in September. there were like dubs of things like that. Yeah, that I mean, so cool. you can pro you'll probably be able to find like fan dubs on YouTube after like you know they air, but like it'd be neat to be able to listen to it in like semi. I would time. listen to like a you know radio cast of you know Attack on Titan or something. Yeah. Um, but in addition to that, the Noitamina Shop and Cafe Theater will be holding a campaign with goods that have exclusive illustrations uh, and a collaborative food menu in se from September uh, to August of next year. Um, and then this cafe is going to be stre uh, screening the first season starting in October, uh, celebrating the birthdays of all the characters. 
Um, they're gonna be there's gonna be like a tour in Nagoya that's all about uh, psychopaths, and there will also be an uh, online exhibition that uh, is gonna have a grand opening in December nineteenth. It's gonna run to February twenty eighth. Uh, displaying key scenes from the three television anime seasons, and there's also going to be special goods you can buy with exclusive illustrations. Um, this is big. Like, you know, the people are... Psychopaths is one of those anime that, like, you're either into it or you're not, right? So one of the one of the pluses for that is that you have a very core, like, a very dedicated core fan base. <laughs> I'm the only one who does not fall into that because I watched the first season and just forgot about it. Yeah, well, then you're, you know, you're not. Like, you know, you're not into it. Like, I liked it. Yeah, I, mean, it, I think you know, but um, but like for the most part, people who are into it are really into it. So like, you know, they'll go for stuff like this, and I think that's really neat. Um, if you want to, you know, watch the show, I don't know where it's. I don't know where most of it's streaming. I do know that uh, the third season is streaming on Prime Video. I think the rest of it is also on Prime Video. I'm not a hundred percent sure. You would have to look. But that's kind of uh, you know what I wanted to talk about with Psychopaths. Wanted to give a little shout out. Uh, to one of my favorite, uh, you know, projects that I really enjoy. The next up on our list is that the Crunchyroll Awards are going to be coming to Japan for 2023. Interesting. Um, yeah, the award ceremony, which will host musicians, creators, and guests at the Grand Prince Hotel New Takanawa uh, in the Hiten Main Banquet Hall, uh, will be held on March 4th, 2023. Um they announced that on Wednesday. This is going to be the seventh Crunchyroll Anime Award program, uh, first ever being held actually in Japan. Uh, the award ceremony will be distributed on Crunchyroll's social media channels and will feature famous creators and musicians. Um, I think this is pretty rad. Uh, it, it's kind of a... Like, the musicians thing sounds dope. Yeah, I hope Creepy Nuts is going to be there. <laughs> um <laughs> What a sentence. I hope Creepy Nuts is going to be there. Um, I think this is pretty cool because like, it's it's like kind of like a, a, a an example of anime becoming a more international uh, phenomenon because the Crunchyroll Awards is broadcast for a Western audience for the most part. Well, it also sounds like it's becoming more of a real show. Yeah, well, I mean, it is, it, you know, there's only two, when you're talking about, like, anime awards for the, that you can, that you access in the West, there's two. There's the Crunchyroll Awards, and then there's the Reddit Anime Awards. Um, and, like, you know, the Crunchyroll Awards obviously being the more formal of the two, mm. um, you know, having it be hosted in Japan... Um, but still broad, broadcast for a Western audience. I believe it is still going to be broadcast mostly in English. Um, you know, I think is a huge step. Last year, Jujutsu Kaisen was the anime of the year. Um, you know, there's still going to be voting. They haven't announced if there's going to be any changes to the voting system this year um, or anything like that. But, uh, you know, I think we can we can look forward to having some more news about that in the near future. Um, but I think this is super cool, really interesting way for this uh, awards show to progress to the next uh, stage, you know. And finally, we can't leave the uh, the anime news section without a little bit of Gundam news. We have a problem. It's a Gundam. And that is that the Gundam The Witch from Mercury prologue anime will be streaming outside of Japan on uh, September 1st. Um, they announced on their Gundam.info website that the Mobile Suit Gundam Prologue uh, prequel anime will be uh, be debuting on the Gundam Info YouTube channel outside of Japan on September 1st. Um, so if you need me, uh, you know, for the rest of this week, you know where I'll be. Um, 
And uh, inside Japan, they're going to be debuting it on streaming services on September 4th. Uh, it'll be on the Gundam uh, the Gundam channel and YouTube Japan. Uh, also, the Gundam Fan Club, Hulu, Abima TV, Unext, and D Anime Store, uh, with additional streaming services being added at later dates. Um, the prequel debuted uh, in Japan only on July 14th at the Gundam Factory in Yokohama, um, which is pretty cool. That's where they have the life size uh, they have a life size Gundam statue. Uh, I think they also have another, they have a unicorn statue in Tokyo, um, but uh, I thought that's a pretty cool place for them to preview this. The The actual uh, anime series will be premiering in October uh, on Sundays, 5 p.m. Japanese time. That's going to be 4 a.m. here, so it would probably be more like a Monday kind of deal for us. Um, it will be simulcast, uh, you know, as it's happening. Um, so yeah, super excited, exciting Gundam news to look forward to. Don't forget to check out, you know, the prequel on YouTube. I really only have one thing to say, which is give me the Gunpla. Give him the Gunpla. I, I just, I want the new kits. They look so good. Yeah, they're going to be out soon. I'm excited for them. I also want, have you seen any of the videos of the RG God Gundam? No, I haven't. Oh my God. It looks so good. Yeah. Dude, the uh, articulation on it is wild. Okay. God Gundam um, was never really one of my favorite mobile suits. But. I was not interested in it until I saw just how crazy like the movements of it are. Interesting. Um, and it just looks like a really fun build. Awesome. But that's my <laughs> Gunpla tangent. There you go. Well, you know what, Best Buds? You heard it here first. Let us know what's the Gunpla that you're interested in building. Are you excited for Gundam Sundays? Um, are you following the Psychopaths news? What are you going to be watching in the uh, in the theater? Uh, hit us up on Twitter and Instagram at bestboys underscore pod or send us an email out to bestboyspod at gmail.com. And with all that being said, I think it's about time for us to move on into the meat and potatoes of this week's episode. Alright, Best Buds, we're getting into it, and we're going to be talking about Slice of Life anime today. Um, Best Boy Dan, what's your, what's your experience with Slice of Life anime? What do you, what do you... I, I wouldn't say that I've watched, like, an alright amount of Slice of Life. Okay. Um, I... I tend to think of myself as an anime generalist. Okay. Like, I don't think that there's a specific genre I gravitate to over other ones. Like, I, don't get me wrong, I love me some, like, sports anime and whatnot, but, like, I like dramas and slice of life and all that stuff. Um, for me, it has to be very specific ones. So, okay. like, certain ones have hit really good with me, like... Um, Kind of, if you count Dragon Maid. Uh, Dragon Maid, definitely, yes. Um, I really, for this episode, I, um, like, tore through Super Cub. Okay, yeah. I, I watched, uh, you would be proud, I watched all 12 episodes of Super Cub in one day. Okay, oh, wow. I, I got off of work, I went home, and I... Just watch Super Cup for a night. <laughs> awesome. Well, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you to talk about Super Cup a little bit before we get into our list of examples of uh, slice of life anime. Mm -hmm. um, so good. I'm glad you tore through that. 
Um, do you, would you say you enjoy you watch more uh, slice of life anime than the average anime fan? Less? What do you? What would you? I say? would say unless you're like specifically drawn to slice of life. Yeah. Okay. Great. Um, so I think what I'm going to do to start off, I'm going to, um, kind of define slice of life anime, which is a bit of a difficult thing to do because there, it is one of those genres that like everybody kind of has a different definition for. Uh, and what I'm going to use, I'm going to use part of the my anime list slice of life definition. And I say part because the first half of it is useful and then the second half is not. Okay. Um, I'm just shocked <laughs> that my anime list has definitions for the genres. Oh, like, yeah. on it. My anime list has everything. It's they really kind of do. They, I found my social security number on there the other day. Yeah, wild. I found my firstborn child. Uh, do, you have, do you have children? Uh, That's you know, horrifying. I, I wouldn't say I have children. I mean, they're, they're it's, there. It's, it's just your someone, firstborn someone child. Someone has my child. Someone right? had that child yeah. and now it is yours. Exactly. <laughs> um, but, uh, you know, uh, for, the, for the definition that I'm going to use uh, comes from my, the my anime list definition. Uh, and that is that they are stories that are focused on a seemingly random and mundane period of, of the main character's lives. The absence of a central plot to carry the story towards a charted destination means slice of life stories frequently lack overarching conflict and resolution. While life is not without conflict and slice of life neither, here conflict appears and dissipates seemingly at will without a specific narrative to enforce it. Um, what what would you think that would scan with your with what your experience of slice of life is? To an extent, I would say the slice of life, um, yes, I would say on an episode to episode basis, absolutely. Yeah. I, to me, some of the strongest ones are ones that do have through lines. They have like a background through line. But, yeah. but I think with any slice of life, you know, it's the, the main plot, even if there is a main plot, is mm -hmm. never the central focus of the story, except for maybe like the last episode or something like that. Okay. It's usually just something that kind of happens slowly in the background of it. So, um, like Super Cub, I think, is a great example of that, mm. in that there's not a specific story to it, but to me, the overall story of it is her progression from depression to becoming a more outgoing person through the use of her motorcycle. Okay, interesting. Yeah, I do agree, definitely agree with you that th those are qualities I also enjoy in Slice of Life anime. The reason why I went with this one specifically is because while that is a good thing that I do enjoy about Slice of Life anime, it is not something that they all have. Yeah. Um, so I went with a bit of a broader definition. And the reason why I'm only using the first half of the my anime list definition is because the second half is wildly inaccurate. <laughs> the second half is like, it's like because of this reason, you know, uh, genres like comedy, romance, and horror are completely incompatible with the slice of life genre. And that is just absolutely incorrect, like, uh, so, on its face. So, you know what's funny is I wrote the joke about, you know, Higurashi being slice of life, haha, the stabbing, yeah. right? But... A majority of that show, at least in the first, like, nine episodes, is straight up a slice of life. Because the whole point is that they live normal lives until right. the craziness happens at the end. Well, I mean, if, if you're if you're going to make the argument, like, that you cannot have a horror slice yeah. of life, my answer to you is going to be Miyaruko-chan. Yeah, that's also really you know? a good point. Though, that's, like, horror comedy. It gets tough sometimes. But also, like, if you're going to say comedy can't be slice of life, like... 
Dragon Maid. Dragon Maid. Every slice Yuru of life. Camp Yuru was Camp really has comedy. funny. I laughed like, a lot at when that. I, when I saw that part, I'm like, I'm using the first half and I'm throwing this other part out because it's yeah. not. It's Listen, we're the we're the educators here. Yeah, we're making is, the definitions. My, this is my podcast. <laughs> we use my definitions. But yeah, so I think, you know, having that definition as like kind of a, a place to work from. Um, is going to be useful for us as we discuss what slice of life anime is, um, and that's mainly because I think a lot of people tend to lump together any anime that isn't a battle shonen in the slice of life category. Um, okay. It happens. Like yeah. people, people are like, "Oh, there's no battle." Like I don't, I don't watch slice of life. Like I'll say something. I'll say an anime that's like a rom com, but yeah. not a slice of life. And like an example of a rom com that isn't a slice of life would be like Kaguya Sama Love Is War. I think. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, it, yeah. You know, no, it's, it's specifically. A it's specifically a rom com. Yeah. Um. Yes, there is slice of life elements to it, but it's not the main focus. Yeah. Um. And people will be like, "Oh, I don't watch slice of life." I'm like, "Do you just call anything that's not Dragon Ball Z slice of life?" <laughs> um. But the other mistake people Dragon tend Ball to... Z has slice of life episodes, like when he gets his driver's license. Yeah, yeah, it's true. <laughs> like there are shows that have slice of life elements to them, but that doesn't make them a slice of life show. Yes. Um, but I think the other mistake people tend to make when considering slice of life anime is when they define it too narrowly. Because um, a lot of times people will only consider low stakes, low drama shows like Yuru Camp or Let's Make a Mug um, to be slice of life. And so, like, anything that has any kind of action or storyline or drama, any of those elements, they'll say, oh, well, it's not Slice of Life. Which I think is is too narrow a definition for, yeah. for this genre. Um, you know? I think a good example of that is uh, I've Been Killing Slimes for 300 okay. years. Um, because that is a slice that is very much a slice of life show, absolutely. And there are scenes where they have like giant magic battles and yeah. stuff. You know, it's again, it's not the focus of the show. And I actually have I have three hundred slimes on my list of examples of of uh, slice of life anime, specifically because it is an example of a slice of life that does have action elements to it. And the biggest thing I'm going to push back on is Miss Kobayashi's Dragon Maid was the Best battle anime of 2021. <laughs> it, it absolutely indisputably. Was. Yeah, <laughs> um, and I actually have that listed here when I, you know, when I talk about um, there is plenty of room for drama in Slice of Life, and sometimes even battles. In the case of shows like Miss Kobayashi's Dragon Maid, mm-hmm. um, which has both, it has drama and it has battles. Um, and uh, while some Western anime fans tend to complain that Slice of Life anime is B tier or <laughs> mid. Um, the, Everything's mid. Yeah, the the genre has cornered a very considerable chunk of the Japanese manga market. Um, generally, these stories tend to focus on school life or interpersonal relationships, um, but there are a number of stories that take place in fantasy or sci-fi settings, um, with stories ranging from light and fluffy to dark and dramatic. Um, I tend to personally lean more towards slice of life that has a more romantic bent to it, Um but in my humble opinion, I think there's something in this genre for just about everyone if they're lo- willing to look for it, you know? Because mm-hmm. I think that's kind of the magic of Slice of Life is that it's Slice of Life is different for every character. So, you know, the kind of stuff that you're into depends on what the character's life is like. Yeah, and and it, it is definitely a much more... To me, like, Slice of Life is is about soft stories i guess is is kind of like a way to put it i don't have like the right words for it mm. but you know it's you're not going to watch it for like 
the same reasons you're going for a Steins Gate, where you're like, I you know want to be enveloped in this like story. And it's interesting that you mentioned soft stories because that is also kind of a, a, a misconception that a lot of people have. People don't really consider the fact that you can tell a dark story in a slice mm-hmm. of life setting. And one of the one of the perfect examples well, so that I, I have don't for... mean soft in the sense of like um, you know like cutesy. I mean it in uh-huh. the sense of like it's not like the like rigid structure of like you know the hero's journey or something like that it's 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 by definition like a day in the life of this person yeah and i think you know like i said like you you can use a slice of life story to tell a dark dramatic story and one of the examples that i i have for that is um there is a, a web manga that is being released it's like one of those like once every other week he releases one page and it like tells more of the story um and it's called the the apothecary is going to make this ragged elf happy and it kind of tells the story of like this guy he finds this elf who is like being sold off you know she's on the verge of death and like he buys her um you know frees her and then like tries to like basically like help her um, like do go through physical therapy and like oh, like wow. you know get over her trauma and stuff. So it's like a very dark story, but it is essentially slice of life because it really is just days in the lives of these characters, mm-hmm. you know. Um, but yeah, I uh, you know I, I like I said, there's a little bit of something for everybody in um, in this genre. Now, while I was researching for this episode, I wanted to see how far back Slice of Life as an identifiable genre goes. And surprisingly enough, the earliest example of a Slice of Life anime that I could find was Akage no An, which is the 1979 anime adaptation of the Western novel Anne of Green Gables. No freaking way. Yeah. That's wild. <laughs> which is, it's, believe it or not, it is a beloved novel in Japan, even to this day. I, is, I love how Japan has, like, fixated on, like, certain Western properties. Yeah. Like, this and uh, Country Road. Yeah. They just love Country Road. Yeah, this is, this is one of the most... Um, popular Western novels in Japan, like even to this day, really um, interesting. Um, fun how that side story. Out. Uh, for years, I used to be the assistant lighting designer for a two-person musical called Daddy Longlegs, uh-huh. and I would put up uh, the show all over the country, Canada, all that. One of our biggest productions was in Tokyo. Um, this is a very famous, like, turn-of-the-century, like, love story. Basically think, um, You've Got Mail or She Loves Me. Like, mm-hmm. the kind of, like, two people <laughs> writing letters and, like, falling in love through their letters sort of thing. But they actually meet in real life, but only one of them knows, like, sort of deal. Mm-hmm. But yeah, very, like, based off an old, like, British book. Super popular in Japan. Wow, that's crazy. Um, but yeah, Anne of Green Gables, this story centers around Anne Shirley, a girl raised in an orphanage who was accidentally sent to live with the wrong family. Now, this is generally the point at which my research would end, having gotten the answer to my question, except I noticed a familiar name in the credits. The scene setting and layout for Akage no An was done by none other than Hayao um, Miyazaki. Hayao, I, I can never get his How? name right. Hao Miyazaki. <laughs> who would later go on uh, with the director of this show, Iseo Takahata, to establish Studio Ghibli six years later. What? I'm yeah. learning so much. <laughs> like, this can, like I did not expect to have like a Studio Ghibli connection there. Wow, that's um, like the progenitor of it, even. Yeah, it's super cool. Um, 
but anyway, getting back to the history of Slice of Life, the genre began to experience a, an increase in popularity in the mid-1980s. Uh, and from here, I'll be drawing heavily from manga vision, cultural and communicative uh, perspectives, which is a collection of essays edited by Sarah Passfield Neofitu and uh, Kathy Sell with artwork by Queenie Chan. Um, it's available for free online, only about 300 pages long, and it's a really great read for anybody interested in reading about manga and anime from like a cultural, literary, or academic perspective. Um, anyway, during this time period, uh, discourse surrounding anime was kind of in a state of flux, uh, with a slice of life playing a role in the shifting priorities of anime and manga magazines, um, which were the kind of ways that people engaged with like criticism, like not criticism, like, 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 um... I'm talking about like like literary criticism of anime. So people talking about the settings, the uh, characters, mm. you know, people dissecting shows. Um, that is kind of was centered around you know the magazine during this time period. Um, that makes sense, right? Like you, I remember reading reviews for like upcoming TV shows in like Entertainment Weekly back yeah. in the day when magazines were a thing. Yeah, <laughs> and it was, it's interesting because you would have like the weekly and monthly manga magazines where the right. manga were, yeah. and then you would have the the magazines where they discussed it, which were separate magazines. Interesting. Yeah, it's kind of like the the shows they have in Japan where like they have the like you know whatever it is, like Big Brother, um, Real uh, real World, right. like basically type show, but it's a show within the show where they have like the people watching the show and they yeah. cut to them and discussing the show. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, prior to this period, these magazines were more active in interviewing and featuring the creators of anime and manga, kind of breaking down their various settings and character motivations, you know, doing criticism, things like that. Um, Slice of Life, however, does not lend itself well to this dynamic because the settings are easy to understand by their very definition. They are supposed to be relatable, you know, stories of everyday life. Um, and, um, you know, the plot can change from episode to episode um, with the characters facing new challenges in their day-to-day -day lives. So it, it was difficult for these magazines to kind of transition to discussing these shows where really the discussions do not need to be broken down in such a, you know, in a, such a rigid, like, literary criticism kind of way. Um, and while, you know, Slice of Life was continuing to become more uh, prominent, so too were OVAs. And OVAs played a huge role um, in the spread of Slice of Life anime during this time period. I am interested to find out how. So the reason why is basically because... Slice of Life anime, or Slice of Life manga at the time, was very popular. But it wasn't screened very much. Um, they, they didn't get anime adaptations very often. And that's because during this time period, to get an anime adaptation, you had to be successful on television. There was no streaming. And there wasn't a whole, prior to this point, a whole lot of like DVD, or not DVD, uh, VHS at the time releases um, of shows that didn't also already have a television. Well, VHS run. was new at this point. Yeah, VHS and Betamax were pretty new at this point. And that's kind of what played a role in how Slice of Life came to prominence because you could have now a straight-to-VHS release. You didn't have to run on television. You know what? It's, it's funny. Now that you mention it, it sparks memories of that is how anime used to get made, right? Yeah. Was you would have a successful OVA that would, like, you... You know, back in the day when it was DVDs, like, they would sell, you would get a disc with an OVA, like, with your copy of, you know, Jump Weekly or mm. whatever. 
But that's that's an even later manifestation yeah. of, of what we're talking about here because what we're talking about here is not even necessarily shows that will go on to later have yeah. a television run. We're talking about like just a manga, a slice of life manga. Maybe it didn't run for super long, but you know it had a core fan base. And so what they would do was release instead of you know instead of releasing you know a 12, 24, 52 episode season, mm-hmm. full season of a television anime, they would do you know two, three, four episode OVAs released on VHS. Mm -hmm. And that was way more accessible for these properties that didn't have the kind of guaranteed commercial success that you would need if you were going to try to to broadcast them over the air. You know, Mm -hmm. you you would have to have... In order for you to get a television adaptation, you needed to prove that your anime was commercially viable. Mm -hmm. And that was not so much the case anymore. Now that you could release an anime directly to VHS... It's also interesting to just kind of look at the landscape and and even in Japan how difficult it was to get, you know, slice of life uh, yeah. anime made, especially when you compare it to today when like you have things like when will Ayamu make his move yeah. getting like you know broadcast around the world. Yeah, absolutely, and and that kind of harkens back to as we're talking about you know what was the first slice of life anime? Obviously, it had to air on television because VHS wasn't a thing yet and it was the anime adaptation of an already beloved uh, intellectual property that was familiar to Japanese viewers. Uh, An interesting connection to that. Um, Do you know what the first like Chinese equivalent of Pixar movie was? No, what's that? It's an adaptation of Journey to the West. Oh, interesting. That makes sense. makes total sense, right? Like it's, uh, I think it's called like Neja or something and it like it did huge numbers. Like, I'm talking over, like, a billion just in China alone, which yeah. is wild. Absolutely. Um, especially for... It's the, like, highest rate, like, Chinese animated movie of all time. But uh, it's one of those things where it's, like, if you're kicking off, you know, something, you go with a story that people know. Exactly. Uh, and that's kind of how this... Uh, the, how Slice of Life came to be... To, to become prominent. Now, in this time period that we're talking about, we're talking about the mid-'80s, Moving into the early 90s, you know, mid-90s kind of time frame, now we have, coming along, the advent of the internet. Um, and <laughs> Mistake. Yeah, was was broadly considered a mistake. Um, but, you know, with the internet now also being, you know, coming into existence, we don't, we don't have streaming yet, to be clear. You know, all broadcasting, you know, anime is still coming out on television and on VHS. The internet is not in a place yet where we can have stuff, you know... Uh, you can watch a video on the internet. Not unless you wanted to download it for, you know, seven years. Um, (laughs) But what the internet did provide was a place for people who wanted to discuss anime and manga to gather in a decentralized way. So what we're seeing here with the advent of the internet is the decentralization of discourse around anime and manga. And what that results in is people being able to communicate more clearly what their desires of as an anime and manga viewer are and it kind of reconfigure it recontextualizes the relationship between production committees who are the ones who make the decisions on what does and doesn't get an anime adaptation and the actual consumers whereas previously it was the production committees providing the anime for the consumers the consumers didn't have much of a say but now mm-hmm. you know without with the the basically the anime and manga magazines dying out as the kind of only forum where you could get information about these shows 
you know, now you could have a more vocal fan base actually have some sort of input on what does and doesn't get made into an anime adaptation. Mm-hmm. Um, and that is also, you know, one of the major factors in how Slice of Life, beca- you know, became as prominent as it has become. Oh my god, the days of message boards. Yeah. <laughs> um, I could go on for hours about like what the actual dynamics of this stuff is. Um, but this isn't the episode for that. We're not going to go in too, too deep into the consumer and you know pro- producer relationships. Which we um, probably have to do at some episode in the future. Is just like... How anime gets made. How Well, how anime gets made and how anime came to be what it is today. Yeah, absolutely. But this isn't that episode. Suffice it to say that it was during this period of tumultuous change that Slice of Life began to develop into the genre that we recognize it as today. Now, the next question I wanted to address with this section is why do people enjoy Slice of Life anime? Um, And, you know, this is going to be a little bit more subjective, obviously. Um, But, uh, you know, because... People, you hear people ask that all the time. Like, why would I enjoy just watching someone go shopping? Like, I'm not interested. (laughs) That's boring to me, right? Um, That's the same sort of, like, pedantic argument as, like, reality TV, though. Of, like, I live real life. Why would I want to watch someone live it on TV? Exactly. And, you know, my answer to that um, is kind of, I have three, three main points to that. Um, People tend to enjoy Slice of Life anime for a variety of reasons. So speaking for myself, as many of you know, I tend to enjoy shows that feature strong and interesting character development. Um, And a well-done Slice of Life story has plenty of opportunities for that. Um, While developing a character through epic struggle and the hero's journey a la Shonen is perfectly valid, I find something interesting about, you know, watching a character grow and develop through the experience of their everyday lives. In 12 episodes of Super Cub... The main character grew leaps and bounds more than Goku has in over a thousand <laughs> episodes. Yeah, and you know, you know what? or I think, whatever of Dragon Ball. I think the story of like a Yakuza enforcer learning to access his emotions through caring for a young child to be every bit as interesting as Goku unlocking his Super Saiyan powers through the constant and relentless application of violence upon his opponents. Um, People also tend to use Slice of Life as a kind of pressure relief valve. So it's kind of like a cozy place to relax when you're tired and stressed. I especially find myself falling back on Slice of Life when I've been watching a lot of like high stakes, high drama anime. Um, especially during the summer of Shonen, which I'm <laughs> we're currently having. Um, but sometimes it's nice to take a break from tournament arcs and redemption narratives with a simple story about a girl learning to follow in her mother's footsteps as a master of pottery. You know, sometimes that's just nice. Yeah. Um... Another thing people tend to enjoy about Slice of Life is that it's relatable. Uh, Most of us aren't biomechanically enhanced uh, super soldiers or reincarnated (laughs) heroes with a harem full of buxom ladies. Speak for yourself. I am only speaking for myself, as always. Um, However, Slice of Life tends to focus on the more human elements of storytelling. Now, most of us are uh, probably don't have a pseudo family made of dragons, but it's not the characters themselves that are that are human. It's the relationships between them, and that's the relatable part. You know, Um, it doesn't necessarily have to be like everybody has to resemble what I you know what I am, but like the 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 interpersonal relationships are what's relatable. Yeah, I you know. there are a number of slight, especially like theme slice of life anime that are like not my interest. Yeah. Though, oh my god, if they made a gardening like slice of life anime, yeah. I would lose it. Well, I mean, they're they're making <laughs> DIY soon. That could be oh somewhat. Oh my god, uh, DIY is also up my alley. But like, 
there are a fair amount of those that are not. And, you know, it's it's kind of the same thing I get from um, sports anime, where it's like I don't necessarily have an interest in X or Y sport, but I enjoy learning about it through the eyes of these characters and, like, seeing their passion for it. Yeah. Um, but, you know, all told, I think that's kind of the magic of Slice of Life and the challenge that writers in the genre face. It's like, how do you take a mundane and familiar piece of everyday life and defamiliarize it in such a way as to use it to tell a story? Um, and, like, you can't be so relatable as to be disinteresting or even depressing because real life is depressing. Um, but you also, you can't tell a story so fantastic that the average reader or viewer can't access it through their own experiences. And somewhere between those two constraints is where well-done slice-of-life stories are born. Um, and, yeah, that's kind of, like, my little uh, spiel about, you know, where slice-of-life comes from, why people like it, why maybe you should uh, you should maybe experience it for yourself. And I wanted to wrap it up with just a brief list of some examples of Slice of Life. So these are going to be not like, you know, I'm not, it's not a list of the best Slice of Life shows. It's more along the lines of what are some representative um, examples. But before we dive it's into... a list. We haven't done a list in a minute. Yeah, we haven't done a list in a while. But before we dive into it, Dan, why don't you tell us a little bit about Super Cub? What were your experiences watching oh, this show? Oh, yeah. So, okay, I would say my biggest two points of reference are Yuru Camp and Super Cub. Like, I, I've watched a fair bit, but I think, to me, those are like... Yuru Camp is like the mm -hmm. like slice of life one. And I see why you had me watch Super Cub for this. Yeah. Because it has vibes in that sense in that it feels like it should be a tentpole like slice of life anime in and of itself in how it's done because it's done exceptionally well yeah. so for those who don't know what a super cub is it is not uh a particular type of like gay person though it might be <laughs> it could be um <laughs> uh it's you know it's a it's like an 18 year old who's like really in shape yeah not shaved <laughs> Um, but no, it's, um, it's a motorcycle, basically. It's a motor scooter. Motor scooter. Yeah. Um, 49cc. It's not like, you know, something. It's a moped. Or, yeah. Yeah. Um, but it's basically the story and, and we talked about it when it came out because yeah. what struck me about it initially was I, re I, I remembered in the first episode before I even rewatched it was this one scene where she had like all of her pre-prepared meals like set up for the week in this like tray and it was just like her food was sad yeah like she ate cold like curry over rice like from a like you know sealed packet like yeah. sort of thing and that was that was her life and she was by herself an orphan in high school like living on her own she got this super cub motorcycle and the minute she got it, she began on this journey of opening up, talking to her classmates, making a friend, you know, finding something to care about, caring about herself to care about something else. Yeah. It was this wonderful journey of of coming out of depression. I think, to me, that's the core of that story. Absolutely. Is, uh, you know having known people um who have dealt with depression um you know it's it's very you can very much see that that story being told in that that moment of that light coming into the world yeah absolutely um 
so with that you know being said we're going to dive in we're just going to do brief kind of overviews of why um what these stories are why they're uh, you know exemplars of slice of life first one we have on the list obviously yuru camp this is this is this the is slice it. of life show you know yeah um we actually just recently finished all of yuru camp minus yeah, the movie we just finished season two it is just it, it is one of a handful of animes that are just cozy down to the bones. Yeah. The OST is one of the most relaxing things ever, especially like fall day, you're doing work in a cafe, put on the Yuru Camp uh, like soundtrack and you're going to be vibing as hell. Absolutely. Um, you know, from the soundtrack to the animation to the stories and the characters, this whole anime is basically like a big warm hug. It's, uh, it's also about camping, which we yeah, should it's probably It's about camping, <laughs> which you can probably guess from it's, the... It's cute girls camping. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, also, Justin's wife is in this. Yes, uh, my, the teacher. She's my wife. <laughs> it's wonderful. She just like drinks all the drinks. Yeah, she gets drunk and she goes camping. Those are two things that I would like to do. Um, I'm curious if how far have you gotten in Toradora? That's the next. I'm one like halfway to. through Toradora. Um, I thought you would have loved Toradora. I it's fine. I just haven't had time to watch it. I mean, <laughs> when do I have time to watch anime anymore for the anime podcast? <laughs> um, no, but Toradora, um, you know, is kind of an example of a more romance based slice of life. Mm -hmm. um, you know, it's fairly well regarded among slice of life fans. And um, uh, what's what is it called? What's she? Uh, On Top Tiger? No, the kind of... Sundere? Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, she's like one of the top Sundere's. Absolutely. Um, next up on the list we have I've Been Killing Slimes for 300 Years and Maxed Out My Level. I love this show. Yeah, this is an example of a more action, somewhat more action-based slice of life. Um, still has very heavily family elements to it. Um you get some adventure. A very nice um, female-driven story, yeah. too. Um, there's not really a lot of guys in it. Actually, there's like a, two men in the whole story. Yeah, and and it's it's just kind of like a nice family of women altogether. Yeah, and you know this story is kind of... A, this one's more of an example also of... You know, some other slice of life shows tend to be very episodic. This one is more arc driven. So, like, you'll have two or three episodes that follow a theme, and then another two or three episodes that follow a different theme. It's also just a super easy, like, if you want something to just like tear down and not even think about, like, this is this is an easy watching show. Yeah. Um, the next one we have is Violet Evergarden. This is one for you to talk about because I haven't seen it yet. But yeah, it... so I've watched a good chunk of Violet Evergarden. This is one I actually have to go back to. Um, I... This one is interesting. I guess technically it is a slice of life. I would personally put this more in the drama category. The reason I put this one down is because it, it is on every list of the top really? slice of lives. Yeah. I mean, that's why I figured it was on here. Technically, you are seeing the day-to-day. -day. I mean, it is constructed slice of life. It's yeah. just, I guess, uh, yeah, I guess in, in just a structural and by our definition it is because you are looking at her life. It's just kind of a rather exceptional life of this kind of former soldier who becomes a writer for people who can't voice what they need to say. So basically she takes what people are trying to say and writes it into a letter for them. Okay. Um, it's, it's a beautiful show and some really interesting, like kind of lore and stuff would highly you would really enjoy it yeah um 
next up we have Mish Kobayashi's Dragon Maid. This one, um, this one is definitely. It's kind of like if we're looking at Slice of Life as a spectrum, you have Yuru Camp on one end, and then okay. you have Dragon Maid like almost on the entire other end. Dragon Maid's so tough because it falls into so many genres and is also one of the best shows of all time. <laughs> and I think one of the reasons why it does end up solidly in the Slice of Life category is because of the episodic nature of the everyday episodes that they have i would say it is slice of life and comedy and drama and right. action and romance sure um, um but definitely uh, uh all of that on top of a slice of life base yeah um next we have march comes in like a lion and i want to specifically say the first season the the second season is definitely less slice of life, more like drama driven. Yeah. Uh, but the first season is pretty slice of lifey. Oh. It does definitely have a lot of drama to it. Um, but like the kind of the the episodic way, the way he kind of the story bounces from like mm-hmm. you know one kind of challenge that he faces to then like his time spent at the uh, at Akari's house. Yeah, Akari's and, house is very slice of lifey, and, and then he'll also so cozy. But this is a show about depression. <laughs> yeah, which is an example of how like slice of life. Everyone always goes for the cozy, but it is not always that. It yeah. can and often is drama driven and this is a good example especially this show the cozy is i think there to offset how depressing and dark this show gets from like just an emotional standpoint yeah um next up we have something completely different we have koei can't communicate um this is definitely more again we have this is the school life yeah slice of life this one leans on the rom-com yeah more most heavily on the comedy this this is one of your more traditional examples specifically of slice of life manga as opposed to the anime Mm, necessarily mm -hmm. the anime does tend to focus more on an on on like a concrete arc whereas the manga definitely does have like each chapter is a self-contained slice of life story Mm. um Next we have Wotakoi, which I think is a really good example of a romance-based slice of life that does not take place in school, in a school setting. Yeah, so for those who don't know, Wotakoi is basically a love story between otaku in an office environment. Yeah. Um, and it's great. It's a really fun show. Yeah, highly recommend. If you're even if you're not usually a fan of slice of life, if you like rom coms, check this one out. It's yeah. great. And and it's adult too, so I think it's more palatable for like, you know, you're not watching like you know, Toradora, where it's, like, a Sundari teenager and, like, you know, an outcast guy. Yeah. Um, third to last on our list, we have Let's Make a Mug 2. This one is... I, I put it on the list because it is a perfect example of a slice of life that is constructed around not just an activity, but also a location. So a lot of times, slice of life anime also feature very prominently an actual location within Japan that they are kind of trying to... that the author is trying to draw attention to, to tell the history of... Um, and this one in particular is is about the specific prefecture where this type of pottery is made. Um, and I think is a really good example of that type of show. Mm. Um, next on our list we have Clanad. And I actually haven't seen this one. I don't think you have either. Have I you? started watching the first episode, which is not enough to say anything yeah. about it. From what I know about this, this is very much like a like romance and drama. Yeah, the reason why country. I put this one on the list is because it is on every without fail list of the best um slice of life anime and it tops a lot of them. this is from what i understand of this this is the dramatic uh, 
other side to Toradora, right? Yeah. Like, if you have Toradora in this, the opposite end is uh, Clanad. Yeah. And finally, we have um, on my list here, Asteroid in Love, which I place on this list because it is a perfect example of, like, a high school. Again, we have that kind of activity-driven slice of life where instead of camping or pottery, this time we have astrology. And it's also just a pretty good proto-Yuri story. Obviously, the Yuri plot doesn't come full circle because they hate me. But, um, <laughs> yeah, this is a good example of that. Definitely I that kind of, like, driven anime. I still have my fingers crossed for Lycoris Recoil. Oh, yeah, me too. Especially after I sent you that image today. Yeah. They released a new image for it, and they're holding hands, and I'm like, yes. Yeah, I think we're going there. We, we put out a poll on the Instagram. By the way, follow us on the Instagram. We, we got a lot of fun stuff. Um, we put out a poll on the Instagram, and it was it was a dead heat. It was tied between oh, yeah. whether or not uh, Licorice Recoil would end up as a Yuri show. Um, it remains so, to be seen. No one knows. It's a new property. Yeah, but you know what? That being said, I think that's a pretty good place for us to round out the episode. You know, go ahead, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at bestboys underscore pod. Let us know your thoughts on you know what what makes a good slice of life. What slice of life shows you enjoy? What do you think we didn't talk about that we should? participate in our polls about what shows are going to have the girls kissing um you can send us an email at the best boys at gmail.com we'd love to hear from you um go ahead and leave us a review rate and review us on itunes or apple podcasts rather because it really helps us out with the uh you know the uh the algorithm um speaking of things that i know we missed um the melancholy of haruhi suzumiya i don't know what that is but sure yeah and you know what i'm glad we left it off oh god okay (laughs) i'm making enemies let's go all right so best boy dan is canceled and that's it for this episode thank you very much for tuning in best buds and until next time enjoy your slice of life anime good night good night oh boy oh i farted (laughs)